welcome to St. Louis in Tune. And thank you for joining us for fresh perspectives on issues and events with experts, community leaders, and everyday people who are driving change and making an impact that shapes our society and world. The show is co-hosted by Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. Our next guest, I don't know where to begin with the introduction uh. because it is, it's immense. He, his name is Bill Cook. He's an agricultural entrepreneur. He is the current president of the Missouri Organic Association. His colleagues will tell you that he's been a leader and visionary in Missouri's agriculture community for over 50 years. He's been involved in agriculture for over 50 years. He is known by many as the patriarch of a new generation business in Missouri when it comes to identity-preserved grains. Going to have to ask him about that. He uses a system approach to get things done. I really like that. That's a big thing. He also has been recognized as a Missouri Master Farmer in 2010, and his family received the Missouri Farm Family Honor in 2002. This is a big deal. He's involved in his community in a variety of ways, which I salute. He's chairman of the board of the Missouri Hemp Association, LLC, executive director of Missouri Hemp Association, LLC, or past director. He's on the advisory board of the Green Global International. He's the proprietor for a 2,600-acre commercial seed farm. He's the owner of the Farm Research Center in Garden City, Missouri. Wow. He's the director of procurement, chief procurement officer for BigYield.us, and the chief executive officer of AgMax, Inc. How many hats do you uh, wear, Bill? I've settled in, and we, I have with me today the guy that runs all the research, Brian Kurt. And you, you can tell by my resume that I'm an old guy. And uh, I'm surrounded by a bunch of uh, real young entrepreneurs that I work with that basically just make me look good. And I'm old now and they're nice to me and I really appreciate that. And Brian, glad to have you on the show too. What I looked at though on, on your website is some of the things that, that you have formed the basis for where you are today. In other words, I'm not necessarily talking about all of the, my words, pedigree things that you do, but your vision on how you run your business and your personal outlook and integrity and focus on how to make things work. And that has gotten you to the place where you are now. And, and you are giving back to farmers in the state of Missouri and actually nationally, I would say internationally, for some of the things that you're doing. And again, I would just a little bit of history. I was a product of inner city. I came down from Kansas City and lived there, growed up, and it was time for me to leave town. And I came down to live with, with an old grandfather and I get all of my values and rural community relationships started back when I was about 14. And the work through the system, we were just old poor redneck farmers, no money. And so extension played a major role. And I can honestly tell you, I love agriculture. I love agricultural people. We spent a lifetime in it. And at this time in my life, I've learned of all of the mistakes that we've made along with where we are now in organic, what we believe in, what we think about soil and the importance of our future. And I get a cool opportunity to work with people like Brian, and, and I think you talked to maybe David Yoder a little earlier, and I have a whole list of about six or seven young guys that they're entrepreneurs and they're all doing their own thing, and we're just trying to be a part of some solutions that we think are really important 
when it comes to the new food policy and how we're going to eat our food and what's changing in the world and, and the consumer and health. We're involved in a lot of those pieces, and it just, I, it's, it's probably the most exciting time of my life that I've ever spent, and we're just getting a chance to share a lot of that with all of our young people. How has that changed in your mind and in your participation in the farming industry, being going more organic? What was the impetus to, to push you that direction? Oh, I've been wrong a lot, and but and I just had this discussion with a young lady today that's running the vegetable and produce side for places like Columbia and Kansas City, and they're trying to figure out ways for people to get their food. It's showing them how to either do it themselves or be a part of some circle where they can get homegrown food. And the biggest mistake I've made is just buying into, and no disrespect, no, I'm not putting any part of our system down because the food system here in the United States has been a great system. The things that I've seen right now in the organic side is the quality of the food, the quality of the people, the way it's treating the soil, the water, the benefit that's going to be back to, I call the next generation of food and the future. I think our future food system is going through a change right now. And I grew up with dealing with the Monsanto's and the Bears and buying into some. I graduated from some of their thinking on the way you treat environment. And I believe firsthand that I found out my grant, my, my daughter-in-law had cancer and they took it back to some of the issues that we found out that some of the things in Roundup that wasn't as good. Again, I'm not putting companies down here, but I my, my changes have been because I've seen the benefits and the negatives of some of the things that we've done as farmers. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I was always, when I was reading your information, I was always curious, identity preserved grains. What's an identity preserved grain? Did good Lord make you different than any other person? There are identities on and one of our histories have been a lot in the soybean industry because we did a lot in that industry because we raised a lot of soybeans and still do. But you take a soybean, you have a large seeded bean, middle seeded bean, smaller, high protein, low protein, along with a certain amount of carbon, same thing with corn. All of the grain or commodities have their own identity for a specific use. Now you can raise number two yellow corn and number, and you can raise soybeans and soybeans. Or you can look at a identity of that product that somebody wants, that special trait. So we have always looked for premium for our growers. And that means you're going to grow something that a customer wants to buy, whether they're in Taiwan or whether they're in Singapore or whether they're in Kansas City, whether they're going to make soy milk, whether they're going to make natto, or whether they're going to be high protein. You're going to look for a variety that has a premium, and then you're going to match the variety up with yield and hopefully increase your margin on that acre by doing something different than the neighbor next door. So that's how your systems approach works into that. You're trying to find... Totally systems. Everything has to work through the system. Absolutely. And as as you have worked with these, what I'm going to call the younger guys, the three guys that I know work with you... Whippersnappers. There there you go. I tell you what, they are not... They're the smartest done. I am... (laughs) So impressed with that generation. I can't tell you, I feel really good about us leaving our hands and our future in the young people that I work with, and they're very smart. The one thing that I do like to share with them, we're going to, we have a little different persuasion 
than when you come out of college and with your degree. A lot of folks come out of there with basically a commercial ag approach with such and such, and, they, and they're all trained a certain way. Most of the guys that I work with get an experience that they get to look at things from a different point of view. And because of their education and their ability and their early sharp people, all you have to do is expose them to opportunities, truth, margins, and they just take it around. I'd like Brock to talk a little bit about Renegade Research. What he's done, what we've been together, what, three years now? I think what Bill is saying, too, is that it gave me something that a lot of people, once they come out of school, don't have, and that's freedom. The freedom to choose, the freedom to also make mistakes, the freedom to have to wake up every morning and figure out what I'm going to do to move the company and myself forward every day. I, I took, took to that pretty strongly, especially following the IP industry that he was showing. And me, my background, I'm a sixth-generation farmer out of Northeast Missouri. I've lived that commercial side my whole life. And yet was exposed when Bill and I came in contact. I thought I knew a majority of what there was to know in agriculture. And I realized I didn't even know the tip of the spear. Now my third year in organic production as well. And, and it's been eye-opening on many different levels. And what I found most interesting, not only the added value that you get from growing an IP crop, but also for how much more attention. When that's more valuable, you're also going to start giving more of your time to produce a higher quality product because it's worth more of your time. It's not just a commercialized deal where... You're now you're getting the same price that everyone else is. Were, Brian, were you surprised when you got this revelation about this, that it's an agribusiness, that it's just not planting seed, tilling the soil, harvesting, getting your money? I, I know that's a very simplistic viewpoint of that, but I know looking at what Bill provides in fatal flaws, understanding the market, cash flow, why businesses fail, choosing funding sources, emphasizing flexibility and feasibility. Was that a revelation to you or was it an affirmation to you or what was that? A little bit of both. I have an agribusiness management degree from University of Missouri, Columbia, and they taught me a lot on the basics, the numbers, the inputs, outputs. But what I felt like I was probably missed the most on it was the new opportunity, the new putting yourself out there on the forefront of stuff, the new developing industry as well as the effect that the, the end consumer has on that. And we're taught so much on on the stuff we control on the front part, but not so much on providing what they were looking for rather than what we knew. Part of it was, that was, that part was different, but the affirmation part really was teaching me, yes, the basics that I understood, but also all the things that, that I didn't, like pulling back the quote behind behind what, the, what Dr. Ong was doing. One thing I would like to add that Brian and all of our young folks are being indoctrinated speak to is the value chain. And the most important thing that you have to offer is what is your real value to that end consumer? Because the end consumer is the one that decides the value that you're worth. And not only thinking about yourself, the most important person that you have to think about is the portion that you're providing those goods and services or the commodity or the IP crop to. And so they have to win first. So the idea of you winning and them winning, you can't win without them winning and they have to be the perk winner. So that whole value chain concept and plant did provide the value that you can really do well and be a part of a team that your values can really turn into a system that will fully deliver that end product at a credible price. And it doesn't have to be the cheapest price, but they should be the best thing that you can get that consumer. The realization that I got from Bill was also so much of what I was taught to produce 
no fault of their own, but taught them on the structure of things. Me knowing what went into, I took it for granted, thinking that the knowledge that I had growing up and the way I was raised and exposed to where food pro- comes from, how it's produced, what goes into it, I took that for granted. And, and that was very eye-opening, especially on a lot of the marketing and promotional stuff and educational things that Bill had exposed me to. And the things that we do for the public, it, it shows how little they actually know on the systems that Bill uses as dips. And it, it does a cracking and tracing from, like on cattle, from the input to the fed to the animal all the way until it reaches the, the end consumer. And that was a, a very exciting and eye-opening experience for me. And either one of you can answer this question. Matter of fact, I, I would prefer both because one's going to, it's going to come from Bill, who's the visionary with this. And then Brian, you're, I don't want to say the beneficiary, but you've attached yourself to this vision is getting all this information out to farmers now, not only regionally uh, within the state, but nationally and, and internationally, the YouTube videos that you produce, that you're giving information and you're encouraging this dialogue, this interaction about latest trends on how to improve and how to get better yields and exactly knowing what the end consumer is wanting to do. Was that, Bill, has that always been in the back of your mind or is this something that kind of blossomed recently or what was that? I think it's a combination, but I think part of it is just growing up in the old informational age and then trying to catch up or keep up or stay above water on the new ways that we communicate our messages and how we network with each other, LinkedIn and Facebook and the other types of uh, ways that you communicate now, it's, that's been a fighting, but it's also been a stretch to try to understand what the next way of communication is. And I think the biggest thing that we've always believed in is lots of transparency and lots of communication and be able to tell the story of or get the message across that's valuable to whoever wants to use the products that you're working with. It's not a, it, it is hard. Now we are, I, again, I've got a, I got a young man that I think Derek Fox and he's amazing and he's our tech guy and he's, he does virtual stuff and he worked with, show me. They worked with the Missouri Organic Association, and he's been working with Show Me Hemp and do things virtually. So we're trying to keep up, but it is people like Brian and, and Derek and all these young folks that keep me up to speed on some of the things that we actually can get done. Brian, from your perspective, what has that meant to you? On, but like you said, he comes from more of the experience as far as a lifetime of being directly involved in agriculture. And for me, even though I, I had a, a very deep background, especially I got the privilege of working with my grandpa and my great-grandpa and my father growing up. And, but with the research business and, and being involved in a lot of the companies that I work with, they're actually directly involved in the long-term soil health, whether it's organic product, non-organic product. Most, I'd say probably 75 to 8% of what I focus on in my research business, is, is companies that are looking to naturally increase the soil health through things like microorganisms and carbon sources and naturally occurring products and things that stimulate that. And for me, that that's the exciting part for me because that is where part of my younger younger generation with newer things with different things. That's the part that so those are the things that Bill and I both get to be excited about. People that are 40 and 50 years older than me and people that are currently just now getting into agriculture get to share the same experience. It's the same thing with the hemp crop as well. The different things about hemp that just completely fascinates me to be a part of a, a product that had been unavailable to us for the past 70 years and 
just the tons of different things that can be done with it. For me, that's exciting. It's exciting to, to affect the challenge. And I enjoy the challenge. I'd say that doing things the way we've always done, that was never the case. We wouldn't be where we are now in agriculture. Yeah, hemp has become a real huge industry. We usually just see the CBD stores right. and everything like that. But how are you guys uh, involved with that? Describe that a little bit. We have, we have again, an educational networking system that we're using around the state, around the nation. Just got started a little year ago when we could start licensing, and we call it Native Prairie Hemp Research Subdivision. So what that does is let a farmer or a company come and grow one eighth of an acre and they get to take that all the way through the growing process and through the equipment process, the drying process, and then we'll take it on into a branded process. So what it does is gives you full transparency of what's going on in the industry and how to do it. That's probably been our biggest challenge is there's just not enough really high quality organizations or people that have really embraced the hemp industry. So recently that we have reached out, Lincoln University is a big player now. Maybe we're going to be one of the bigger players in the United States. They have a tremendous commitment to hemp and they got a tremendous commitment to organic hemp. The one thing I'd like to share and then actually Brian can jump in here, but there's a secret weapon going on out here. There's the person that's going to change our food system, I believe, in the next decade. And I don't know how fast it'll change, but it's already started. The secret weapon is the moms and the ladies that are out here in the industry looking for quality food, quality life, whether they're home gardening, whether they're doing, I think you're going to see the women of this nation play a major part in the way our food system evolves in the next decade. And whether it's through the hemp product well, for health and human consumption, we're, we're looking at the hip heart, which is a great food value for humans, also for chickens. There's a terminology now, um, Thinking of it, help me out here, Brian. New agriculture. Regenerative. Regenerative ag. We're hearing a lot now from companies about regenerative ag. And regenerative ag is all about a, a new system. Maybe even to the point of changing some of the commodities like corn and using hemp more into that grain side. Regenerative ag is more about the health of the soil and rebuilding the quality of the soil and also giving our pure water. Some of the things that we're going to have to address as a nation, getting rid of the plastic straws, getting rid of all the things that are actually harmful to the environment. I really believe the ladies out there are the ones that are going to be the big difference as we move forward in this next decade. Brian, what are your thoughts with that? I think that the prominent thing is, from my perspective as well, and I do completely agree with Bill, but also just in the world we live in now, the access to being able to know about it before effective communication on what was going on with our growth as far as how your crop produced and things like that. There was a need, there was a need to, there was a lot of reports out there of the growing population that farmers needed to meet. And so they got that, that was the one goal they set above them that, okay, we have to get to this point. We have to get to where 
just produce as much as possible, not bearing a cost or, or anything of it, just getting there because that's what was put in front of us. But now what's being put in front of us is the quality, not just the mass production. Now quality is more important than quantity. And I think Bill's right. A lot of that is driven by more health content, but also just more involved. They have the ability now to be able to have that direct access, to know what's going on in there. It's not about just mass producing it and doing it in any way you can. It's about doing the best job you can. And I think that as that comes along, especially with, with the direct involvement that, that more to be put toward the ways and practices that we're using now, I don't think that's going to be as far off as people think with trying to get farmers to come into that new age. So you're going to see the average age of farmer is climbing drastically and continues to climb. They have even by efforts to try to get more young people directly involved, there's going to be a mass change where just because of the way the world works, that it's going to be forced to. And I think when that comes, you're going to see a lot of these younger farmers that aren't truly committed to doing whatever it takes to produce a high quality product. You're going to see them um, move towards that. And I've seen it even with the people that I've gone to school with, the connections that I have both here in the state and spread beyond. And they take pride in what they do. And I think they're going to take pride in the quality of the product they produce as well. Yeah, I think we've seen a, a change in the food system over the course of, if you know, take a step back, you can see as uh, incidents of cancer, and as Bill had talked about that, and other kinds of nutritional kinds of benefits or, or lack of benefits that some of the produce and the, and the food that we get in a grocery store, it has really caused people to take a hard look at what is actually going into this and what is being put on this and why isn't this as healthy or why are people getting sick? And I, I agree with you. I think it's there's going to be a change in the food system and a lot of it, people just they want a better quality of life and they don't want to be sick. They don't want to ingest enough of, there's enough chemicals around. We don't need any more to discourage us and really inhibit our body. He previously mentioned regenerative agriculture. I looked that up and I, this is from the regenerationinternational.org website. Okay. Mm -hmm. Regenerative agriculture describes farming and grazing practices that among other benefits reverse climate change by rebuilding soil, organic matter, and restoring degraded soil biodiversity, resulting in both carbon drawdown and improving the water cycle. And one of the things we had previously talked about earlier in, in the show was just how much the difference there is between the soil of a organic farm and a conventional farm and just runoff and water, et cetera, like that. And I am really excited what you guys are doing uh, on I guess I would say the other side of the state, but actually for what you're doing for the international community because of how technology is working. And when we talk about farming, describe what a small farm in your viewpoint is, like a family farm. That the uh, small farm can mean so many things. The way I got that's a statement everybody's used, but if it looks like a duck or walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. All right. Small farms can be as small as 80 to 100 acres, or they can be as small as several thousand acres. A family farm, if you look at the history of what's went on in the last 40 years and say, what is it event been successful or not? I would probably rather than say, what is a small farm is what is a large commercial farm. Mm -hmm. And to me, a large commercial farm is just a way to get as many acres as they can, as many ways as they can, 
based on federal crop, based on insurance, based on decisions other than being friendly to our environment. You've got some fairly good sized farms that I would consider small farms because they have small farm thinking. Mm -hmm. They walk like a duck and they talk like a duck. You have large commercial farms. It's strictly about how many dollars I can extract from that community, that, that acre. And it's really nothing about how you take care of that acre or whether you go broke tomorrow or whether you take advantage of a local supplier. And those things happen all the time in really large mega farmers. Those can come in all shapes and sizes. But a small farm to me is someone that's really caring about their community, caring about their environment, being involved in their local organizations, whether it's the Farm Bureau, whether it's an association. They're getting input on how to make farming better. And what Brian said earlier, I have a bias. My bias is to put more farmers back on the farm. Mm-hmm. Volume of farmers on the farm is good for rural communities, good for environment, better quality crops. And I don't care if you're an 80 acre farmer or a thousand acre farmer, that still to me is a small farmer. If you involve in small farmer activities, and that is supporting a local community with everything you do. Now, as you said that, I'm thinking about these, my words now, million acre farms, these big business farms where they're just, like you said, extracting the product just to make more money. And have we reached a tipping point with those with the soil or with what the soil will produce for those farms? Or are they just going out buying more? Are they spraying more or are they using more conventional yeah, yeah, tactics? All the that, yeah. And their methods are very harmful to the environment in most cases. It's about killing stuff. You kill your you have good bugs, you bad bugs. You don't they don't distinguish. They just kill them all. And it's a tougher now I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying those are two different philosophies in the marketplace. Right. Today. I am not a large farmer. My, I will buy it. And it's that just it. I'm not saying that system is wrong. I'm just looking at back what does it produce in my life? They come, they go, they, and I had an old neighbor said, he called me a large farmer at one time and I was farming 1100 acres. He said, you large farmers just come in here and rape the soil. He was an older guy and that's what we weren't trying to do. But I do see. When you are a mentality of just there to make a quick buck and you're not there for the long haul, then that to me is a large farm and it's not necessarily beneficial in, in my world of what I see agriculture being in the future. I still believe we're going to increase more farms, especially if we start, if you, your analogy earlier of what farmers may look like in the next decade or two, I think we're getting ready to make a change. And I think the consumer is going to drive that chain. And I think the moms and the grand, I got, I've got, I got two daughters and two daughter-in-laws and I got six granddaughters and I got three great granddaughters and all of those ladies, they dictate a lot more now of what's going on that table. And they look at those ladies and they care about those kids. And I think, I hope we can influence that market to help uh, change the way we look at agriculture. I hope we can make that value there, that proposition there, where it's just not going out after the cheapest thing you can buy. You're actually going after quality 
and you're going to read that label and you're going to be concerned about your health and you're going to be concerned about sugar diabetes and you're going to be health issues and you're going to start living a higher quality, healthier life. And I think that's where our farmers went. Now, this question has to deal with the inevitable and it's, it begins with a G and ends with a T and it, the in-between words are government or o- overman. Oh. How does an organic farmer and, and what you're describing, Bill, how is government going to get in the way? Are they going to now try to regulate more? Because you know how they get. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but no, I, no, no, I don't mind. I don't mind answering that question. No, no problem. What, what do you see is going to happen? I see what's going to happen is about what's been happening. I don't see any changes much uh, because we don't, as a nation, really understand our own politics very well. The government always gets in the way. There's some basic things that government uh, needs to do for the citizens, and, and they'll get around to it some of these days. But if government would let or listen to us, but the challenge with what we have is a common folk, and I consider myself as a common folk. And one of my one of my old friends said, the good Lord must like common people, because they made so many of us. <laughs> and... In all sincerity, we're going to always be challenged by government because government is influenced by powerful and they're, and they operate out of power and they do a lot of things for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. And you don't think that'll ever change. If you go, if you were an Indian back in the 1700s, you would say, not that they didn't have a bad, they had a bad deal. But if you look what government's done now on the other side, it's protected us and made it the best through the world to have an opportunity to be one of those common folks and struggle your way to the upper middle class or to, to a, a great lifestyle. And I would suggest to your audience that wealth is nothing to do with money. It's always to do with a quality of life. And the more quality of life you can have with you and your kids and your families and your community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, that's what's at war with government right now is their shit. Yeah. And government, it's tough. It's the toughest time. And I grew up in the bit bomb days and I was there when Martin Luther King was shot and I was around when all that happened and that was pretty bad stuff, but we're getting back to those days and just government just seems to be way out of whack in the things that we're trying to do. Hopefully we got enough good. Uh, and I think, again, I think we're going to look at regional. I think all things start local, your local county, your local state. I am very impressed with the state of Missouri. I think we have a great state that we live in. But in all sincerity, government's never been a, never really been something that I would say made a big benefit on a lot of the things that we tried to accomplish because they do have so many rules and regulations. And those rules and regulations seem to always be there for certain group or hand people. If you look at what's going on in the hip industry, Oklahoma, they're just kicking butt and taking names. There's other states around us. We're still muddying around in this whole, how do we legislate this? How do we legislate that? And our citizens are getting behind. Government is challenged to be at help at any time. And, but there's some good people in government. So. I guess I want a little disclaimer because I do have a really good state rep and, and some folks that I know down at the Capitol are, are really good quality people too. It's 
a real fine balance between carrying things out as, as an individual representative or senator and then working with another group of people around the state. It gets back to the city rural fight that we always seem to hear about in St. Louis and Kansas City and Springfield against the rest of the state, which it, it does exist in, in some people's minds. And there are there's just different issues going on in different places. And as it relates, and I look at or, organic production and uh, things that you and Brian are doing, and I, I want people to realize that I, I really ag- agree with you. I think this is something that's going to just be a, gr- a grassroots, for lack of better words, it's going to work its way up. People are going to demand more quality food, better organic, wonder where it came from. It's like the restaurants where you go and a chef has a farm to table. They have relationships with farmers and producers of, of meat and poultry, and they know what things are going on. And it's just better quality. It's healthier. I, I really agree with you. That's going to rise up and people are going to wonder what happened. I know yeah. the grocery well, business. The one thing is you can go on the, you can go on YouTube almost any time and you can pick almost any subject. And right now, I, that's one thing I really hope we don't lose is the transparency and the ability for people to share their points of view, whatever point of view you have. We have worked the last two years on a program we call One Voice for Ag. And we've reached out to associations to tie the areas of what we call water line issues. These are issues that we all agree upon. And let's quit focusing on the three or four percent of things that we don't agree upon and focus on the things that we do agree upon. Raising our families, having a better life, a safe community, better food source lifestyle. Let's focus on those things. And we've tried to start doing that. Two years ago, we did this project off with several associations around around the mid-America. And we're continuing to drive that one voice for ag thought process through throughout all of it. And the way we reach people, and I would encourage everybody, go out and belong to association. Go out and, and, and belong to a group. Whatever group you belong to, it's all good. Because that is going to give you awareness. Hopefully, you you communicate with other groups with either like opinions or maybe opposing opinions. The conversation is where we've got to get to and stay so we can synergize, great work, synergize on the things that we do agree upon. That's well said. We've been talking to Bill Cook, who's president of the Missouri Organic Association and has the wherewithal to speak from what he's saying. And also Brian Kurtz, who's founder and CEO of Renegade Research LLC. Gentlemen, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate your time. And let's stay in touch because I think this is something that's going to be more pronounced in society. And we want to keep our listeners informed of your progress and what you are offering farmers, not only in the state of Missouri, but around the country and internationally, what you're offering them to help them be successful. I appreciate that. Could I, could I give a shout out for about three, like, some of these farmer markets in Columbia. And, Absolutely. And there's a place over there. Yeah, I think they call Earth Band Farms there in St. Louis. And hmm. we've got an associated down to Parksburg. And so get involved with one of these groups. Go to a local farmer's market. Learn where your food's coming from. Hug a farmer. Do all those things, but get involved. Uh-huh. Sounds great. Gentlemen, thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity, buddy. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, Bill and Brian. Great. Fantastic. Wow. 
Interesting stuff. <laughs> it is. And you, you think when you go to the store and you just see organic, yeah. like, what is really involved with that? And these guys, man, I what got me going on this was those burners. Oh, I was like, holy smokes, look at this. This is cool. We're not spraying to get rid of the weeds or the bugs. We're, what do you say? 700,000 BTUs. As I wrote that down. Just for the furrow burner. But right. the big burner was 1.5 million. <laughs> what is it? What does it take to warm your house? It's, I, I don't it, know, what, 7,000? Yeah, right. <laughs> 7,000 BTUs. Unbelievable. Yeah. It, don't tell me that it's not expensive to be right. a farmer. Right. <laughs> That's all for this show, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can listen to additional shows at stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. And please consider leaving a review on Apple or Podchaser or your preferred podcast platform, as your feedback helps us reach more listeners and continue to grow. Thanks to Bob Berthesell for our theme music and co-host Mark Langston. And we thank you for being a part of our community of curious minds. St. Louis in Tune is a production of Motif Media Group and the U.S. Radio Network. Remember to keep seeking, keep learning, walk worthy, and let your light shine. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.